to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And this week we are doing 2004's The Village. A series of events tests the beliefs of a small, isolated countryside village. So, yep, this is movie two of our M. Night Shyamalan focus this month. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? As a movie, I don't know that I feel strongly one way or another about it. Mm -hmm. But as a message, I think this needs to be tossed on a bonfire. As a message? What do you mean? This movie says things about mental illness that are so awful and horrible that I think M. Night had no idea what he was stepping into with it, but it's such a damaging and terrible way of thinking about mental illness. Mm -hmm. Hmm. We're talking about the character of Noah, played by Adrian Brody. That's part of it, but also just the general thing of the movie. Which is super problematic, but there's... (sighs) I totally, I t- 100% see what you're saying. And I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of why this was created this way. It's not great. <laughs> it's not great. I don't want to excuse any of it. I'm, I'm not in any way. In terms of the sequence of events, I still really like the story. And I will say they could have done something different and we didn't have, then we wouldn't have to deal with that garbage at all. Yeah. Then it would be okay. But I have to say the experience for me watching this movie, I was in college. And I had no idea. Everyone's like, we're going to watch The Village. Okay, what is this movie? So then I shot a movie. I'm like, oh, is it scary? It's not scary, but it is a little creepy. Okay, I'll watch the creepy movie and be a part of the group. And I was not, I did, it was so tense for me. It was so like gut-wrenching. Whenever you saw the creatures, I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck is it? What's going on? I don't know what's happening. And the ending, I did not see coming at all in any way, shape, or form. I was like, okay, she's at a wall. Okay, so they've, they've fully like fortified themselves. And then, oh, it's present day outside that fucking wall. And then not only that, but Walker, her dad owns all of this land and has been paying for this. So all these clues about your, your grandfather, if he had a dollar in two weeks, he'd turned it, you know, 10 times more. He had a way with that. That's what's paying and funding this whole social experiment. That never even was an inkling to me when I first watched this movie. I think my problem was that I didn't see what was coming. But when it happened, I wasn't very shocked. That's fair. And more importantly, I really thought it was gross. I hated what they were doing to these people. Mm -hmm. What this group of seven people in a sort of therapy group decided to inflict on people. Well, I think inflict on people is a little bit different because as far as we know, it was only those seven people who decided this and then they had families. So their whole their whole upbringing of these children is in this world. Now, yes, that is a form of inflicting, but it's no different than the Amish. At some point, you've made a choice as how I'm going to live. And then when you have family, they have to live that way. It's very similar the difference and the truly bad part is nobody knows that there's an outside world and the and they're only they've only been told lies about the outside world. Yeah, you've that's only where been, it's really bad. Well, you've been told outside lies and also you have the money and resources to take care of people and you well, just let people die. Yeah. I mean, once again, there is a kernel and a nugget of a good story here. Yes. I think one of the reasons this movie fails honestly is because he let it be PG-13. He should have gone harder and darker. Oh, I agree. If he had gone harder and darker and made these people villains, mm-hmm. this movie would be good. Yeah. Instead, 
what we get at the end of this movie is an acceptance that this is, you know, a good way to live. And I was like, fuck, no, this is not a good way now, to live. I don't think we get that at all. That's the vibe I get from That's how they're treating it. That's not the vibe it. I got at all. She was only allowed to go because she would not be able to explain anything because she couldn't see. She's blind. That's the only reason they let her go. And when she came back, she had this medicine and it was to save the dude that was going to keep her there. That's what that whole thing was. It was to save Lucius because they loved each other so much that there was no chance they were going to leave. But the way that he styled it and directed it Mm -hmm. paints it as this pastoral beauty instead of the creepy darkness, which it is. His tone at the end for me is just completely off. It just is. But see, to me, that makes it creepier. It doesn't to me at all. Hmm, interesting. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate in any way as creepy. It resonates as an implicit approval, Mm -hmm. which to me just left me going, barf all over this movie. This is what you think is okay? Where I feel like there was a huge misstep outside of Noah was the park ranger realizing what's happened. You know, he gives her the medicine that she needs. Okay. We're going to, we're going to take care of that problem. I'm going to get a ladder so you don't fall and kill yourself over this wall. Like, okay, (laughs) we're going to, we're going to address the immediate need that's going on here. Why don't we see him making a phone call? I want, that's what I wanted to know. I wanted to see him get this information and try and figure something out because I do like the throwaway lines of like, you know, we get paid all this money to do nothing. It's a sweet gig. Don't screw it over. I give you some advice. Don't get into conversations. You start talking, you start getting into how some estate is paying all of us and no one's allowed to go in there and disturb the animal sanctuary. People's interests get piqued. It's a really easy gig, Kevin. Maintain and protect the border. That's it. A few years ago, it got out in the papers that some government guys have been paid off to keep plane routes from flying over this place. It was a very stressful time for me. Don't cause me any troubles. Like, I like those pieces of information, but I would have liked to see that that sparked something in the park ranger to then go figure it out, to go get more information. I don't know. It just... I know that's not this movie, but that's what I needed from that part. At some point, make the turn into creepy and go there. Mm-hmm. I, that It's like he's holding back from it. And I don't know why, because it's so much better if you just go deep. Anytime you've got kind of a cult or something is off in a communal living space, Mm -hmm. you've just got to drive in as hard as you can. That's what makes it so fascinating and creepy. Yeah. You can't back off. Okay, so clearly, I mean, all right, we kind of like glossed over, but this is M. Night Shyamalan is a writer and a director. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, This movie comes after The Sixth Sense, after Signs, after Unbreakable, before Lady in the Water and The Happening and so on. So we don't like the writing. We like the kernel of the idea. Yeah, it's the same thing same with, unbreakable with Unbreakable and Silence. I, I enjoy the idea, but at some point, he wouldn't fully commit to the story he was telling. Well, it could have been the, it could have been the studio. We don't know. There could have been some studio, like, uh, let's not make it too full, because his other movies weren't dark, and they were probably worried that people weren't going to come see it if it was an R. We've gotten away from that now a little bit more. Like, we're going to do horror and suspense. Let's go full on and make it an R. Audiences clamored for it and got it, especially in lower budget movies. Like, And yeah. then from there, you got even True. more artistic takes but on it. But I can see in 2004 them being like, we can't make this an R. We got to dial it back. 
I, I can see that. I can see that at that point, then you don't necessarily need to be gory with it, but you need to be creepier about it, at least. There should have been more with the creatures. We should have seen more of them. Yeah. And then the whole third act of this movie has got to be changed, like I said, so that it's very clear that what the elders are doing in this town is not okay. Mm hmm. And then if you want to get real creepy wicker man with it and she comes back and then she's like epiphany resolve to stay mm-hmm. with this group. Yeah. And then it's awful. Okay. That's a great turn. Well, and see, part of me didn't like the one creature like going after when she was alone and we know it's Noah, but Noah clearly doesn't know what he's doing. Like he doesn't know what this is exactly. Well, I don't know about that. I think he does. And that's one of the problems with, putting this with somebody who's mentally handicapped is that we don't know how much he knows. And it's suggested that he's mentally handicapped by actions, but I don't know if that's the case or if he's mentally ill. We just don't know. Yeah, it's so badly done. Yes. The whole last act of this movie is just a mess. But they could have still done that and it would have worked really well if the person who was playing the creature had been an elder who was firmly against her going outside the walls, and he decided he was going to come after her and kill her. You know, the other way that this could have worked is if Noah had not had the characterization that he had mm-hmm. and instead been a Gomer Pyle type. I I feel like what would have worked maybe a little bit better is if we suspect that he's found the suits and he's doing this because it's, well, it's not me. Not me. I wasn't on duty. It's not my turn to be creepy character this time. It's not my night to be the character. Yeah. And and they think it's Noah. And we do find out that Noah has been going outside the border because he doesn't understand how it could be truly dangerous. And then we find out that it's this elder who's really like it should have been Brendan Gleason's character. It should, it should have. It should, or it could have been a couple uh, a sector of the elders who were like, no, we're getting too comfortable. Like, and that would have been cool, and that would have been more internal strife. And then we could have used Noah. He could have still been a more pure character. Like, he gets into mischief because there's some things he just doesn't understand without making them this villain and this this scapegoat, which is horrible. And then he's framed Correct. by this elder. In Correct. fact, the really creepy turn on this mm-hmm. is that William Hurt's character is the one who's going after her and yeah. is going to kill her. She kills him, goes back to the village, and then says we move on and takes leadership. That's the creepy turn. That, that could have been creepy. But that's that's the problem is none of that happens. And he just makes this whole mess where it's like, do you think this is how we should be? No, I don't think so. I think what we've discovered is that M. Night has amazing kernels. He needs a writer's room because he created great characters. He created a great scenario. He doesn't know how to move them on the chessboard well. He's got an idea. He's got a concept. I love, I mean, again, like I did with Unbreakable, I think the direction is actually really beautiful. It's a very specific look. It's great. It's much more refined in this movie, and I do appreciate that. But it's the story that creates all of our problems with the rest of the movie. Oh, boy. So that's what we've discovered about M. Night Shyamalan in these two films. He's a bad writer. He's He should not be writing his own things by himself. Story by story by i'm fine with giving screenplay credit but get him two good writers who also get credit for fully crafting the dialogue and the sequence of events you know funny enough so watching these two movies a director i kind of thought of was pt anderson okay very much an auteur very much creates and writes his own films 
same deliberate pacing in how he makes his movies. Okay. The difference is, is that he is emulating Kubrick mm-hmm. instead of Hitchcock. P.T. Anderson, of course, the reason that he's able to do that is he understands the story beats. He focuses on the story before he ever gets to production and thinking about all of this. I mean, Magnolia is a beast of a movie. And yet, even at three plus hours, at no point do you feel like the story doesn't make sense the way it's being told. And that's... That's amazing to be able to pull that off. I, I think his work, it's going to be him or Wes Anderson next year that we focus on. Yeah. It's just, there's, it's, just, there's just too many films by them that I'm <laughs> dying to see. And this podcast is our wonderful excuse to make it happen. But it is that thing of mm-hmm. you need a guy like that mm-hmm. to sit down and connect your dots for you. Mm-hmm. Because M. Night Shyamalan's movies have the same vibe and darkness as There Will Be Blood. But there will be blood is so much more devastating because of the characters. Well, there's that, but also P.T. Anderson's aim has never been to be suspenseful or or a horror film, and M. Night's is. Yeah, and that's fine. That's fine. It's just a different approach to a, a way of storytelling. It's that M. Night's story beats and his execution of his, I guess, his idea is not always great on a page. And to me, I think the thing that's coming through in this and Unbreakable is that he pulls punches. What do you mean by that? He's trying to exercise restraint, which is not a bad thing for a suspense director. It's a given release. But it's almost as though he tries to insert restraint at every moment he possibly can Mm -hmm. in how he tells a story. He wants to make it as believable as possible or sort of magically real instead of just focusing on when do I ratchet it up and when do I not? Okay, but I will give him credit in grounding his films. His films do start off very grounded. I agree. It's just they never get to a level at which I feel suspenseful. That's the problem hmm. that I've gotten with them. Hmm. I would definitely say that's true of Unbreakable. I think on this one, I did get some of that, especially... You know, that first time we see that the creatures come out and they're going to go hide. And that whole sequence where she's holding her hand out because she just knows Lucius is coming. She knows he's coming and he grabs her hand like, I loved that. I thought that was great. See, I thought it was hokey. I thought it was slow mode for not a great reason. And it there's not a lot of tension in that moment. For me, it really is like you're not building up enough tension for us to feel it. Hmm. And it just it hmm. doesn't land for me. All right, let's get into our cast, because it is extensive. <laughs> yes, it is. M. Knight put the entire cast through a 19th century boot camp in order to have the feel of the period, which I like that. I appreciate. Weird to no. do that. No, because honestly, it would be a dead giveaway in the beginning. You cannot suspect what's actually going on. This are, these are modern day people. They've only been here for maybe 40 years. Yeah. You cannot like that you that's a very important part of this movie. Hmm. Do you that you gotta sell it. So we start with Bryce Dallas Howard. We've never talked about her before. She plays Ivy Walker. Before this, she was in Parenthood, Apollo 13, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, A Beautiful Mind, Book of Love. After this, she was in Mandalay, Lady in the Water, As You Like It, Spider-Man 3, Good Dick, Terminator Salvation, The Twilight Saga Eclipse, The Help, 5050, Jurassic World, Pete's Dragon. Gold, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Rocket Man, and Jurassic 3, which was just announced. Oh, God, really? Yeah, they're going to do Jurassic World 3. Oh. 
She was cast without an audition after M. Night saw her perform on stage. I, I think she does a good job. She's so great in this movie. Uh, she's believably blind because she's not in real life. But also quirky, different, challenges the norms of this whole area. You run like a boy. Thank you. <laughs> like, I just love that where she's just kind of like. <sighs> like Every, she- everybody is so stoic and she is not. And it's a perfect antidote and makes you fall in love with her character. And you want to follow her on this journey and this this pain that she feels. So she's she is the exact right person you needed in this role. Yeah, she's she's making perfectly interesting and unique choices, especially with the director that I don't know really has an idea how to coach actors. I have some who could have been better. Okay. Kirsten Dunst was replaced. By Bryce Dallas Howard after dropping out to star in Elizabeth Town. Hmm. Also, Kirsten Dunst doesn't put up with bullshit very much. So no, she's Kirsten Dunst is really amazing, and I think people are finally figuring that out. <laughs> it took I don't know how long. Like no, I think they've finally been like because she did said she did she did some really amazing movies, and then she did like the normal kid movies, and then she did a little bit of nothing, and then she did TV, and like she's had a very robust career. But because she started so young, people are just like, meh. Oh, no. Kristen, well, I've always been like Kristen Dunst fan all the way. Kristen. She's incredible. Oh, I've, it's like Kristen Dunst all the way. Better than Bryce Dallas Howard? I, I don't know. I don't I don't know either. But I can guarantee you these next two options would not be better. Uh-oh. Jessica Biel, Kate Hudson. I'm sorry. There's the door. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Jessica Biel has only recently started to step into her own. No, that girl cannot act her way out of a paper bag, as far as I'm concerned. Well, you haven't seen the two most recent shows she's doing, so. True. Including Lime Town. True. Pod- Podcasters Unite, we've got a prestige television show now. No, that's fine. But everything I've seen of her can't act her way out of a paper bag. <laughs> She, she wouldn't have been right in 2004, for sure. Now, Kate Hudson, I do like. I do like Kate Hudson, but this is not her lane. Too bubbly. No, nah, I don't think that's the problem, but I don't think this is her lane. She would need to be more of a Janet Lee style if she was going to be in a horror film. It's just, this is not a good role for her. No. All right, next we have Joaquin Phoenix as Lucius Hunt. Before this, he was on a bunch of TV. He was in Space Camp Parenthood. To Die For, Inventing the Abbots, U-Turn, 8mm, Gladiator, Quills, and Signs. After this, he went on to be in Hotel Rwanda, Ladder 49, Walk the Line, We Own the Night, Reservation Road, I'm Still Here, The Master, The Immigrant, Her, Inherent Vice, You Were Never Really Here, Mary Magdalene, The Sisters Brothers, he's in Joker, and the recently announced Far Bright Star. Hmm. One tier under total garbage person. He's a problematic person. Yes. Yes, he is. And he surrounds himself with more problematic people. He's had a troubled life. He's also a hell of an actor. He, he really is. I mean, I can't deny him that. He's one of those people who's who's gotten a little too methody. At times, and I think the thing for me, if you have a director who works with him who doesn't want to push him that way, mm-hmm. he doesn't go that methody. I mean, from what I've heard in The Master, he didn't go that dark. He worked with Paul Thomas Anderson to access some of those feelings, but did it in a very controlled way. Mm -hmm. I think he's one of those people who, if you put him with a cough, cough, Todd Phillips, who will not exercise restraint. Or, you know, 
healthy boundaries. He will allow his worst impulses to get the best of him. You you need somebody who's going to be like, hey, do not go overboard doing this. Mm-hmm. Find the right sweet spot so we can get the shot. And that's all we need. Yeah, it's it's kind of a shame with all the recent stuff with him. As of our recording, we have not seen the Joker. We probably will because Oscar bait. But we don't want to contribute to its opening box office numbers. All that to say, he's really good in this movie. He's interesting. I don't... It feels like this is something M. Night just does with these lead characters where he just, like, pull yourself in and be as stoic as humanly possible. And, like, why? Because look at him next to Ivy, who's not that way at all. She's bursting with information. She never stops talking. He's not going to talk when she's talking. He even yells at her. He's like, why do you speak so freely? Like, <laughs> like that whole thing is hilarious. And like, yeah, this is true. Like, you take up enough words for both of us. I mean, I think he's good. But I guess, again, it's it's like that Samuel L. Jackson thing. He's really good. But then at the absolute weirdest moments, he's not giving enough. I don't know if that's true. He's definitely better than that. I don't know. Just something seems off with this sort of internal consistency he has. And also, and this is not him, it's the writing. I hate the fact that they sideline him for the third act of the movie. I know it's really Ivy's movie. I agree. But like, he's such an interesting character. I want him actually around. I wish as part of his recovery, he discovers the secret. I wish like he's stuck in the house, he gets up, he discovers the secret just in time for them to like drug him to get him to shut up and she comes back with like that would have just add to more of the tension and then we just end with that. The role of Lucius Hunt was written for Joaquin Phoenix. Okay. I do like that. You know, M. Night works with an actor. I really like them. I want to use them again. Joaquin filled in for Mark Ruffalo on Signs. Mark Ruffalo was supposed to be in that role. That's when Mark Ruffalo got his brain tumor. Mark Ruffalo would have been so much better. I know. Mark Ruffalo would have been so much better in that movie. I know. Mark Ruffalo is amazing. He really, truly is. And that's not to say that Joaquin... Actually, Joaquin's one of the better parts of Signs. But on on that one, that's proof that that character was written really well. Well, yeah. Okay. So it's possible. Just didn't happen. Joaquin Phoenix made a walking stick for Bryce Dallas Howard during the preparation camp and he engraved it with the name of her character ivy on it oh that's sweet sure that's nice i like it all right next we have adrian brody as noah percy before this he was in the boy who cried bitch bullet solo six ways to sunday the thin red line summer of sam bread and roses the affair of the necklace the pianist the singing detective after this he was in the jacket king kong hollywood land the darjeeling limited the brothers bloom cadillac records splice Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Experiment, Midnight in Paris, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Houdini, the TV miniseries, American Heist, Peaky Blinders, The French Dispatch, and then he's got a bunch of stuff that's coming up in 2020. Another problematic human. Yeah, a similar thing with Joaquin Phoenix in that he's had some problematic moments with some super problematic human beings. He (laughs) does play really well in the Wes Anderson universe. He is and a I, phenomenal actor. And I think I think he's been in Hollywood jail for a while because of his defense of Roman Polanski. So we've already talked about how the character that Adrian Brody plays is really bad. Like, it's just, it, it's bad that's not Adrian's fault. But of course, we have an able person playing someone who has mental, physical, 
disabilities and we don't we don't know what they are they're never explained there's something wrong with him and we don't know what it is the thing that they they bring up i when they were talking about all the horrible things that happened mm-hmm. to the to the main group of elders yeah and the family issues like again if he had just been the vincent d'onofrio slow burn and descent into madness character mm-hmm. in jealousy mm-hmm. that would have been fine something's a little off about him and then it's just over time it just gets darker and darker and twistier for him mm-hmm. but they immediately introduce it this way and you're yeah. like this is not okay mm-hmm. and it's really hard to even say he gave a good performance because i'm like i don't know yeah did he give a good performance did he make these choices did M. Night make these choices? Mm-hmm. It's impossible to judge his performance without knowing exactly how that got set up. Yeah. And it's a shame because I think he's working his butt off to sell a character. I just don't know he's working, what the choice is. He's working very hard and he's certainly interesting. And when his when Noah is supposed to be playful with Ivy, he's precious. I'm very engaged with what he's doing when Noah's being sweet. And and when he's loving, like when they're she's like, we're going to run. Don't cheat. She cheated. And he runs out like that whole thing is so sweet. But then they just make it this mockery. It's like, why couldn't he just be the sweet, like the sweet, innocent character? It's implied. We don't say anything about his condition. Mm-hmm. And that's all we had to do. Like, yeah. if you really wanted to do that, fine. It's still bad that you've got an able-bodied person playing that character. Mm-hmm. But at least we have an explanation to run with. Well, and don't make him the scapegoat for violence and Ugh. and problem. Like, let's use him for good. Like, yeah, he tries to defend people and saves people and is cut down by the real villain yeah. of the movie. Like, it's, it's just so it's bad. Just, it's bad. It's bad from then. Like, I don't want to shit on Adrian Brody and I don't want to shit on the character. When he is on screen, I'm very engaged with what he is doing. So for that, I will... Give him plus on his performance. Yep. Because. Unless uh, I find out it was his idea to characterize that character that way. In which case, goodbye. <laughs> that is not in my notes. Good. Okay. <laughs> I do have some who could have been better. Okay. Ashton Kutcher was originally cast as Noah, but had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. No, thank you. No, thank you, Satan. No. Aaron Eckhart, Thomas Jane, and Hayden Christensen were also considered to play Noah. Thomas Jane would have been really interesting. That could have been interesting aaron eckhart nah he's a pretty boy and brody's kind of a pretty boy too when he doesn't have hair that looks like that but i would say aaron eckhart if they had written the character the way that we just discussed i would have been interested to see what he would have done with it yeah next we've got william hurt as edward walker before this he was in the big chill children of a lesser god broadcast news jane Eyre, michael lost in space one true thing dune the tv series artificial intelligence tuck everlasting after this, he was in Syriana, The Good Shepherd, Mr. Brooks, Into the Wild, Vantage Point, The Incredible Hulk, Damages, the television show, The Host, Humans TV, The Beowulf miniseries, Goliath, television series. He was in Avengers Infinity Wars. He was in SOS Thaddeus Ross, Condor, television show. He was Endgame, and then he's got a bunch of stuff coming up. Also, you ever want to see him get super creepy? Altered States. Mm. I love him. I love William Hurt in a movie. I love, like, I mean, he can do no wrong. Love him. Like, my only problems with him are are the writing. It has nothing to do with him. No, and he does a great job with what he's written. I love the scenes with him and Kitty and him and Ivy. They're great. They're so dynamic. They're so believable. They're interesting. Like, they're doing a great job. He is masterful 
in the restraint he gives, he is the one character whose stoicism I truly buy. Mm. A lot of other people, it just feels like, this is weird why you're doing this. Mm -hmm. But for him, it always feels purposeful and thoughtful. And then when he finally says, fuck it, we don't have a chance here. If we did not make this decision, we could never again call ourselves innocent. And that, in the end, is what we have protected here. Innocence! That, I'm not ready to give up. Uh, and, I loved him. And he's, yeah, he gives a gorgeous performance in this movie. All right, everyone else are, like, they're big names, but they're only in the movie for such a short period of time. Like, there's nobody else to talk about. So, they're Arpons. They're all Arpons. Sigourney Weaver. It's Alice Hunt. Very good. She's amazing. She apparently had nightmares for two weeks after reading the script. Like, really? I kind of want to read the original script now instead of, like, what the shooting script was. Because I wonder if that was better or scarier. If it got darker... I mean, like I said, I could do with this movie being like nine times darker than it already is. Mm -hmm. Brendan Gleeson as August Nicholson. He's also awesome. He should have been the bad guy. He really should have. That would make this movie so much better. Him and the Cherry Jones character. They should have been teaming up to go behind the back because Cherry Jones, she can play a son of a bitch so well. I love that woman. I said Cherry Jones. She's awesome. Celia Weston as Vivian Percy. She's awesome. She's been recently, she plays Cam's mom on Modern Family. She's adorable. Love her. Frank Collison, who plays Victor. Okay. David doesn't know who this is. That guy plays Horace Bing on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, and I adore him. <laughs> Shut up. It's great. One day we're doing our Dr. Quinn podcast. It'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> Judy Greer as Kitty Walker. Oh my God. She's so good. She's amazing. Like her just her devastation when when Lucius doesn't return her declaration of love, even though they've never talked to each other is just so unexpected and amazing. Bryce Dallas Howard and Judy Greer play sisters later in Jurassic World. <laughs> I forgot about that I too until I read that it. They were sisters. They were. That was totally done on purpose. I don't know if it's on purpose. It's I bet just, it was. No, they're both amazing actresses. Also, Judy Greer has played a kitty before. She played kitty on Arrested Development. <laughs> uh, I know, this is great, right? Michael Pitt as Fenton Coyne. Jesse Eisenberg as Jameson. Jesse only gets like one real line. He's the guy who's standing up with his back towards the, the perimeter. Yeah. Like, Michael Pitt's actually pretty good. He's all right. Jane Atkinson as Tabitha Walker. Jane Atkinson's powerhouse. She's amazing. And then Frank Kahn's as Christop Crane. He's in Cabin in the Woods. He's in Dollhouse. He plays in that universe a lot. And then Charlie Hoffmeyer as the young security guard. He played Abe on Mad Men, Peggy's boyfriend. When I saw him, I was like, it's that dude. I didn't even know who you were. And then. And then. M. Night Shyamalan. Who plays the other security guard. We never actually see his face, but we can tell it's him. We see his side profile in the mirror. Yeah. Which is a very cool way to do a cameo. Yeah, no, his cameos are great. I will give him a lot of credit for that because Hitchcock like was full on screen in all of his yeah. cameos. So that's that's a very neat trick to pull on a cameo like that. Yeah, no, it was very cool. All right, trivia. No trivia. M. Night initially had a different concept for those we do not speak of creatures. They were originally conceived to be monsters similar to the rock drawings featured in the movie trailers, similar to lions walking on their hind feet. When the creatures were built to full scale and brought on set, he thought it was just completely unbelievable. And the creatures were redesigned 
with the addition of the red cloak. Like if his whole thing is that it's people pretending to be, it does have to be something that is a believable suit. And something that they would have gotten from the forest. Yeah, that would have been like scrounged together. There needs to be a forest monster. It took the crew 11 weeks to build the set for the village. The film was originally supposed to be called The Woods, but another film from MGM, The Woods, in 2016 was already scheduled to be using that name, so it was changed to The Village. <laughs> Local Chattis Ford artist Andrew Wyeth's work were used as inspiration for the look of the film. In fact, the house shared by Joaquin Phoenix and Sigourney Weaver was a copy of one that appears in Wyeth's watercolor painting called Open Shed. That's really cool. The inspiration for the story comes from two unlikely sources, Weathering Heights for the period drama and King Kong for the community living in fear of predatory creatures. Weathering Heights, I get. King Kong, I don't at all. No, I don't. That doesn't. Isolation doesn't make sense to me with that. I can't. I can't make that bridge. Uh, this film is included on film critic Roger Ebert's most hated list. <laughs> It's it's so sad how much my tastes agree with his, which is bad because he's you know not the greatest critic in the world, as we found out later. We talked about the rating. According to Steve Bodecker, the MPAA gave the film an R rating due to a single sound effect, which was later removed. It was the sound of the knife stabbing Lucius. And Bodecker had stated that the scene worked better without it. It does. Give them credit for that. I, I agree with that because you don't know it happened and you just see his face and it's just like, what happened? Nobody knows what happens. And then all of a sudden, fuck. Yeah, no, no. That scene works brilliantly. It's great. It's that's a better that's that's a better suspense motion yep. moment. That's not my problem with it being PG-13. <laughs> also, fuck the MPAA for that shit. Although the tombstone reads 1897, it was actually taking place during modern times, as noticed when Ivy climbs outside of the wall. The original villagers probably chose the year as they figured it was a great for starting a village with intended innocence. <laughs> Why didn't we have more of them talking, right? I don't know, because I think if we had too much of them talking or reminiscing, it would give it away. If we have too much of the elders, it gives away their secret. I mean, maybe, but on the other hand, do a better job of peppering that in so it's even more watchable the second time around. The film has a number of similarities to the young adult book Running Out of Time. The book is about a village where the people who live in it think they're living in the 1800s when actually it's set in the present day. The heroine of the book goes searching for medical supplies and the village elders take steps to make sure their children never learn the truth of their world. The book's author, Margaret Peterson Haddix, threatened to sue for plagiarism. M. Knight wrote off the similarities as meritless. <laughs> Bullshit. Well, no, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, it's one of those things where you can have two people come to very similar conclusions. I mean, like there is a finite number of lists of ideas in the world there. I, I believe that it's a matter of how you arrange them and present them that makes them unique and different to you. You would have to see the shooting script mm -hmm. and the book side by side. Yeah. And who knows? It very well could be looking at those two together being like, hey, buddy. Mm -hmm. Uh. Looks like you might have stolen a premise and a story here. Uh, this one, uh, this isn't going to pass our copyright. We just want to be sure. We might need to change a few details. The sniff test is not working on this one. Caddix, I recognize that name from as a young adult, Arthur, but I don't recognize the title of the book. Yeah, I don't either. So it, it could have also one of the things that it's not like you stole it from. If you're going to write a book about teenage wizards, you have to be really careful that you're not encroaching on Harry Potter because there's no way you can claim, well, I didn't ever read Harry Potter. I don't know anything about Harry Potter. 
everyone knows something about Harry Potter. <laughs> it's, it's there. It's there. It, it exists. You you just got to be careful. So, yeah, that's it. That's all I've got. It's time to rate this bitch. <sighs> I've seen it before. It's my movie. So how many walking sticks am I going to give it? Ooh, that's a that's a nice. I think I'm going to have to go the same as I did with Unbreakable. I'm going to give it a two. Currently, the idea is really great. We have some phenomenal actors and... I think if we had a better script, I think he could have knocked us out of the park because I do think he's a very competent director. But the Noah character is super problematic and the way he moves his pieces on the chessboard aren't great. Like we could get to the same conclusion in a much more interesting and suspenseful way. So that's my problem. So it's a two for me. I want to be harsher on this than I'm going to be. Okay. I'm going to give it a one and a half. Oh, okay. I wanted to go one. Okay. But the performances are very good. Even if they're not logical by the end of the movie, they mm-hmm. are still very good performances. Okay. And consistent. Okay. The filmmaking is mostly good. It's just that, number one, the story just kind of falls apart. And then on top of that, for me, not just Noah, but the whole story itself is really problematic. And especially in, and this may be just my perspective, but if you as a director don't give me a clear point of view. Mm-hmm. Unless you're very specifically like treating something as a documentary, mm-hmm. you're implicitly approving what's on screen. You're saying that the viewpoint that I've given my protagonists is good and okay. Mm-hmm. And without any notion or understanding that that's not there, I think that somehow the twist to this is that we're now in a bind and Ivy's going to go save them. And then everything's okay in this really crazy creepy, fucked up place. Um, I I just hate the bad taste that left in my mouth. I can't go as far as a two with it because of that factor. Hmm. Not great. No, doing too good here. Next week's going to be quite the change. A change? A change. We're going to do Lady in the Water. Ooh. Which is a film that a lot of people, I think a lot of people didn't understand what it was. So I think a lot of people don't understand what his movies are. That's fair. So they hated it. And I remember seeing this one in the theater and going, I really like that. I really enjoyed it. Hmm. It's a different film. It's not supposed to be suspenseful or horror. It's a bedtime story. Bad marketing strikes again, perhaps? Bad marketing, but also people not. It's kind of that thing when a band comes out with a new album and it's completely different from their last one. And like, you didn't do the same thing. I hate you. You're the worst. Kind of one of those things. Before we get out of here, let's talk about a new movie we saw. Okay. This week we saw Judy. Legendary performer Judy Garland arrives in London in the winter of 1968 to perform a series of sold out concerts. Well, we got a front runner for best actress, eh? She's the one to beat right now. Hot diggity damn Renee Zellweger. She she did an amazing job. This movie isn't great. This this is not a great movie. Um, I got bored in the middle of it. It's way too long. I did seriously think, can I go home? Like, I just want to get, like, I'm bored. I just, like, I literally wanted, <laughs> like, I'm sitting in the theater. And this hap- This has happened to me a few times. It's very rare where I go, I just kind of want to, like, stand up and go. Like, I literally just want to, like, get up and leave. Not because the movie was that bad. I was just like, I'm bored. I'm so bored. It's like if we were watching a movie like this at home where it's like, we're an hour in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pause it. Let's take a break. Like, we'll come back tomorrow. I'm going to go finish. to bed. I'm not finishing this tonight. I don't yeah. care. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I have no attention to my phone. That's what it was, but I was in the theater, so I couldn't do that as easily. Um, I'd just be super pissed to leave. It would have to be like offensively bad. But damn, if I wasn't crying at the end. 
She is Judy Garland. Tom and Lorenzo, the bloggers, I've talked about them a lot on this podcast. They have a really wonderful review of what she does. It's not mimicry. It's not drag, but it's not just pure imitation. She kind of does all of those things at the same time, but at the perfect balance. And their description of her performance is quite perfect. So I would seek that out. It's TomLorenzo.com. She's the one to beat right now. She's definitely going to have a lot of competition this season. I know it. But right now, she's who you want to beat. I have no complaints about her in Uh, that movie. The way everyone talked about Rami Malek last year, it's a very similar thing where you just feel like that's who you're watching. Yep. Just even more heartbreaking. (laughs) Yeah, because Judy Garland's life blew. It was was horrible. And she was broke. And it sucks. And this movie does a wonderful job of not papering over the harm she would cause because of that, but at the same time, helping you she, understand it. She was not a stable woman, and she was very much a victim of her fame. Yep. It is not all her fault. Oh, no. It's just, it's just not. And so it's just sad. It's just, it really is truly sad. Her family's come out and said that there's nothing factual about this at all in any way, shape, or form, but I don't care. They dispute her story like every single time it but, gets told. They do, which is, they're right. Yeah. It's fair, especially if they're depicted on screen. I would dispute things too. But that's kind of like, the stuff with the with the kids is not, the whole point is her. Yeah. What she was dealing with. Um, I also saw another movie this weekend. I saw Downton Abbey. Oh, did you? I did. I went and saw with David's mom because she just binged all of Downton Abbey in like three weeks. And I don't care. No, David actively would roll his eyes every time the preview for it would come on and be a real dick about it. So. It was just so schmaltzy. Shut up. Look, I will speak my piece on this. I do not hate Downton Abbey. I've seen bits and pieces. I think it's a perfectly fine show. It is just not my thing. Yeah, you don't care. That's and fine. it makes me roll my eyes because it's just how I feel about it. I imagine it was great. Was it? Yes. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't remember the series a whole lot because I watched it in bits and pieces, but I did thoroughly enjoy watching the film. If you saw Sex in the City, the first one, because we're not going to talk about the second one ever again, it was a lot like that. It was like, oh, it's like I got to watch a whole season in one setting. That's cool. That's what ha- and, and that's all I wanted. I got another story with my friends, these people that I really like. So if you're a fan of the show and you want to see the continuation of the story, it's, it's great two hours. That is honestly when you do movies like that Mm -hmm. that's like next to just an amazing standalone story Mm -hmm. that is best case scenario yeah is that you get what you loved about the show distilled into a movie when you're continuing a television story into a movie that's really the way you have to approach it in order to stay true to like the format because yeah it doesn't translate very well despite whatever problematic things are in the show in and of themselves it was enjoyable i liked it that's awesome because when those movies come out, I'm like, look, I know this isn't for me, but I do want fans of shows like that who get a movie to enjoy them. Because if not, what a bummer. Oh, yeah. Like for it to be like, oh, this is a new way we're capping off these characters and it sucks. Because that's how we feel about Sex in the City too. It's like, <laughs> I haven't seen the new Mystery Science Theater 3000. I want to watch it. And I'm like, I really hope when I do get around to it, it's as good as I remember it being. Yeah. And if it's not, it's going to be a bummer. Truth statement. All right. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.